0: Welcome to Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a podcast that aims to raise the profile of school libraries by talking about topics that are current across education and teaching. Today, Daryl and I are continuing our monthly chat, Fossil Education and School Libraries, where we hope to help you engage with the content on the Fossil Group website, introduce you to people who are using Fossil in schools, and most of all, just have a conversation about the role of, the, of school librarians within education. So thanks for joining me again, Daryl. I hope you're well.
1: Yes, very well. Thanks for you, Elizabeth.
0: Good. Um, So we talked last time about Douglas Knight's two major and unique functions of a a library in our last podcast and ended up by having a great discussion about the purpose and function of our non-fiction collections and also about how to get started on this journey through the Fossil Group website. So today, Darrell, can we start by um, thinking about some practical implications of viewing the library and librarian in Nate's terms, can we start there?
1: So um if we just if we just remind ourselves of the three things that we've touched on over the last two podcasts, is um those those two major and unique functions are that libraries are um places where uh, mind and idea. Meet it's a it's a meeting place for for the minds of our students, um and ideas and those ideas are contained in, um, our collections, um both nonfiction and fiction, um but also physical and digital, which we can speak about, um a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but the second thing is and and this is the crucial thing then is that it's not just the meeting of mind and idea but it's where um, those ideas can be developed and extended in the minds of our students. Yeah. Um, and that really then is where this idea of the teacher being, um, uh, the librarian being a teacher of whose subject is learning itself. Um, so the, the the collection is important because of what it contains,
0: yeah.
1: the ideas that it contains, and our real concern then is um, that interaction between mind and idea in our students. And he then says that um, there's this vital collaboration between those who stir the mind to inquiry and those in the library who then teach the mind how to inquire. Um, so just a reminder that that was um, 1968. Um and it was very interesting because I've got a, a, a publication, um, a school library, so UK School Library Association publication um, from 1972 called Libraries in Secondary Schools. Um, and I, I find this quite interesting because uh, that document says that the library um, has been described as having three main purposes, those of reference or inquiry with an E, um study and background or recreative reading so those are the three functions of of the library Um, or main purposes of the library Um, now the the interesting thing is that inquiry with an e is basically the asking of a question so so the way that they define it is the it's the asking of a question and the looking for an answer Right. So that's why um, they say inquiry with an E is an act of reference. So you are looking for a specific answer to a question. Okay. Um, but study, which is the second function, is where you then have um, one inquiry that leads to another inquiry that leads to another inquiry that leads to another inquiry. Yeah. And it's, it's possible that that begins to look a lot more like inquiry the way we understand it. So not looking for a piece of information that answers a question, um, but building an understanding of something through a series of questions um, and where we're looking for answers to those questions in the collection. Okay. And then, of course, the third function is background and recreative reading. So... The interesting thing for me is that at a certain point in so so we were speaking about at a certain point in history, this is how libraries of all types were understood, except that that was from the perspective of America. Yeah, but that is not too dissimilar from how libraries were understood in the UK um, at more or less the same time, nineteen seventy two. Um, So I think an interesting question for us going forward is what happened, what has happened to our understanding of what the school library is and does and the role of the the school librarian in that. Um,
0: So if we go back to what libraries potentially looked like in the 1960s, school libraries looked like in the 1960s, would we have had... Professionally qualified librarians in post? So an expectation?
1: So I think. So so that is a project that I'm working on at the moment. Okay.
0: Uh, because
1: it, it, it's quite, yeah, it, it it's a little bit difficult to piece together exactly what the situation is. But um I've got an um an an older manual, um, again, uh, a UK SLA. Uh, manual called school libraries a short manual um, and that was first published in 1947 and i've got the 1955 edition um, and from what i've read so far of the 1955 manual um, there is certainly language that the the librarian is a teacher Now, that may literally be the case. So um, there was a teacher who had a responsibility for the library.
0: Okay.
1: But um, it is is certainly clear from those books, um, well, certainly the the, the, the 1955 one, um, it's very clear that there was a strong push for those teachers who were librarians to be to learn how to become librarians yeah now interestingly that, that so that that is the situation in canada america and australia yes is yeah. that you're they a
0: have te- their teacher librarians yeah. yeah
1: so you're a teacher first
0: yeah
1: who then becomes a librarian it's a, um, it's a specialist teacher yeah
0: um
1: so that maybe is um, a conversation for a couple of podcasts away, uh, <laughs> when I've had an opportunity just to work my way a little bit through further. But um, I think it 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 is it is worth just positioning that um, what we are talking about now um, is not without some kind of historical precedent for us, but that something must have happened uh, to produce a very different situation. And I think gaining insight into that would be very important for us going forward as a profession.
0: Because we've almost come a full circle, haven't we? Because if that's the way they were talking about school librarians or school libraries in the 1950s and 60s, they did see it as a a profession, whereas budgets lack of understanding maybe even the introduction of the internet has brought about a real change in the understanding of of what a librarian in a school is actually about and we've just sort of touched briefly haven't we on the fact that there's a there's two skill sets really one is the the skill set of actually being the librarian what do you need to know and do in order to be a librarian but there's also that element of you know teaching inquiry skills and and supporting the wider curriculum and actually you know how it it's just amazing how it's evolved so that we've now, we're now trying to push back up to that. <laughs> we seem to be really at the bottom where where there's a lack of understanding, where there's a lack of knowledge and training, um, but it's almost more imperative now than ever that school libraries and librarians Come into their own, actually start making a noise about what it is that that we can do and and bring. Um, I was just reading an article by Joshua Benton this week, which was um called asking people to do the research on do the research on fake news stories makes them more believable, not less. Um so a lot of people, the the article was about the fact that lots of people um, when asked to do the research, know about um, uh, going beyond the website that the current website that they're reading, but they don't have the skill set to take them away from what the algorithm wants to give them. So it keeps them in the bubble. It reinforces the fake news that they've been reading and and that really is down to the skill set of learning how to learn and understanding that you need to use specific keywords to get yourself away from that bubble and it's almost like we've lost like i don't know anybody in a school currently that is is specifically responsible for teaching those kind of research skills apart from the librarian but if the librarian isn't taught how to teach those skills, we're almost in a vicious circle.
1: um but you see, I think I, I think it need it needs to go one step further than that because and and this is where I'm very grateful to Barbara Stripling and the relationship that we have because she, has always been and is very clear um, about the librarians' collaboration with teaching staff is aimed at learning curricular content. it's not so so, so that is our, that is our challenge our challenge, challenge is to figure out how to do that because otherwise what we end up with is yeah. teachers are trying to teach content yeah and we are trying to teach skills. <laughs> um one or more sets of skills yes that are divorced from the teaching and learning of absolutely.
0: content absolutely it has to be linked yeah
1: however If we are becoming increasingly successful at collaborating with teachers on learning content through inquiry, then naturally, and in age-appropriate ways, concerns with quality of the information that we're using, how we find that information, More importantly than that, what we do with the information, how how we make sense of the information, how that helps us to understand what it is that we're studying, that then becomes a natural part of that learning process and we aren't competing for time. And um, students are encountering, students and teachers are encountering those absolutely critical skills within a logical learning process um so it's a twofold thing we need to understand what is going on but we also need to be integrating that into our work on teaching the process of learning
0: which which takes us back to that conversation last week about knowing your stock really well
1: yes and um what what so what is very interesting about that um we ended uh and I suggested maybe that we were looking at towards the end of because um, I, 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 I remember emailing you to say um that obviously a, a 70% fiction, 30% nonfiction um split is maybe more appropriate for um sixth form. Yeah. So okay. by the time students are getting to the sixth form, um I think it's entirely reasonable to, to to expect that in school time the majority of their reading ought to be um, not exclusively um, but ought to be focused on their studies. Um, and that maybe lower down, we were looking at more like
0: 50-50. But that's um, interesting though, because when you when we look at reading levels of fiction it drops off at about year nine. So so they should be, you know, and, and I think, you know, having looked at this previously, the reason that it drops off is because the reading that they're doing in school is more curriculum-based. They don't have time to read the fiction in the way that they did in year seven and eight. Maybe that's where the transition then comes to our non-fiction collections being greater at that age level then.
1: Yeah, so so I think we need to understand that as a progression. So I think um, it would be wrong if we were saying that we aren't ex- we aren't expecting or trying. Um, and I think maybe also it's important that we have a shift in language, which is actually why the um, the nineteen seventy two um, um, SLA libraries and schools document is interesting because that they refer to recreative reading. Yeah. So. Um, there's a kind of a, a, a reading for information and for learning, um, and um, there's a recreational kind of reading where um, I'm just enjoying reading in a different way. Well, I'm, 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 I'm in. Yeah, I'm enjoying the reading in a way that is different to the enjoyment that comes out of reading for learning something about a specific topic.
0: Yeah, so so at that point, um talking about it in that context, it it could be either.
1: Yes, so so we, we aren't we, we aren't one yeah, and, and so maybe if 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 our language shifts a little bit there, so say for example in year nine, um if we're if we're using um, say for example, the language of of recreative reading, um that could be fiction or non-fiction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So
1: if, if we have less of a hang-up about whether they're reading fiction or not, yeah. um, which is not to say that we shouldn't be encouraging them yeah. to yeah. and be providing for them, but we do need to understand that given the time available during the school day and the access that we have to students year nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. Um maybe we ought to be more concerned about the um so this idea of of um taking hold of and developing the ideas that we find, learning from those ideas, and that then ought to be reflected in um the balance of the collection. Yeah. So Year 9 does seem to be a point where we do need to begin thinking differently about our collection and what we are doing with our students around the collection. Um, and and it's, it's curious because um, I, I still remember uh, that that reminded me, that conversation last week, of a, a defining moment for me as a school librarian. And I'm almost 100% sure that I can trace that back to when I stumbled into school librarianship. Um, kind of by accident in 2003 yeah Um, and we had to prepare a budget so I was curious um, so what guidance is there on the collection yeah and I'm almost 100% sure and I know for a fact that at some point um, the SLA guidance was something like and I'm sure it was this 50-50 for primary moving towards um roughly um one third two thirds right um fiction to fiction in secondary
0: yeah
1: and I still remember thinking to myself okay so that has massive implications if if that if that's the recommendation That has massive implications for the way I think about the collection, but um, I still remember thinking to myself, surely that also has to have implications for how how I allocate my time. Yeah. So am I allocating two-thirds of my time to nonfiction-related activities and one-third of my time for fiction? Very interesting. Yeah. Now I um we've just done our budget and um the SLA bookstock guidance for 2024. So they've just that's just come up, um, just been put out. Um and the guidance is primary school age range proportion of fiction to nonfiction um is recommended as 50
0: Yeah.
1: Um secondary school range in the ratio of 65 to 75 nonfiction. Wow. To 25 to 35 fiction in order to offer um one title per area of the national curriculum wow. now I'm, I'm as sure as i can be that that is the ratio that first got me thinking about the importance and the value of the non-fiction collection as well as how i prioritize my time yeah um and actually, um, that leads very neatly into um, the, the 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 fact that we were doing the budget um, and the development plan. Um, the uh, I think the importance and the value of the the practical importance and value of the the Ifla School Library Guidelines. Okay. Um, because one of the things that is yeah. Um w- one of the things that I did when we were doing the um budget and the annual report was I wanted to um revise job des- our our job descriptions based on what we were actually doing. Yeah. Um and I I searched um locally but also internationally. Uh, for job descriptions that actually describe the reality of what it was that we were doing, yeah, and I was more or less disappointed. Yeah, um, and so many that, of
0: the that, that that's basically though because the people writing job descriptions for school librarians are the senior leadership teams in schools who really don't understand what the role of the school librarian could be on the whole.
1: Yeah, and even 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 what I found is um job descriptions from um, schools in, for example, Australia, um, America, and Canada, um, even where there is a recognition of the instructional role of the, the, the school librarian, um, they tend to read as a, a a collection of things to do without yeah. any real sense of purpose and logic. Yeah. So um what I did was um I I revisited the IFLA school library guidelines. So what I hadn't appreciated even when the two of us um worked on that um SLA guide, yeah. what I hadn't fully realized when when we were doing that is um the logical structure, um the the, the logic of the structure of the guidelines. Yeah. So Um, It starts with the mission and the purpose of the school library. Yeah. So if you aren't clear about who you are and what you do, none of what comes after that makes sense.
0: Yeah.
1: The second one then is what legal and financial frameworks does your particular school library operate in? So that is within your school, but there may also be regional, district, national considerations. Yeah. Um, Human resources. So now the interesting thing here is, um, so there's a lot in the news at the moment, very positive news about um, the importance and value of a school library. Yes. And reminders that that library needs to be staffed. Yeah. And that is absolutely brilliant and to be applauded, But that immediately raises the question then of purpose. So what is the school library and the librarian? What is it that they are going to do? And I think the thing that we have to be really careful of is that um, while having a library and having a librarian in a library is a very important and necessary step, what we can't afford to do is to... Um not bear in mind that libraries need to be appropriately staffed for the size of the school Yeah so to give you a practical example um I've for for a long time now um I have been using the um, Australian School Library Association um recommended minimum, information services staffing levels right um that they um the most recent version of that is is 2020 right now what they do is for both primary and secondary um for number of ch- children they um recommend number of teacher librarians and support staff hours. Okay. So, to give you a practical example, um, for a school of our size, now, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. It's it's a little bit more complex for three schools because the, the 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 ratios are slightly different for primary and secondary. Um, but for a for a school of our size, um, so we are currently around four hundred and fifty. Um, the rec so the recommended minimum. Um, which the IFLA guidelines also flag. Um, according to a particular school's unique needs. Um, So that recommendation is two teacher librarians. And I think um, they effectively, what you're talking about, is a primary library and a secondary library. So two teacher librarians. Um, And I think it's something, if if I remember correctly, it it was something like 60 um, support hours. Okay. Now, um, what we need to understand there is, so when I was working on the job description, this is where um, this became clearer to me. So the teacher librarian is a um, a, t- a teacher who has specialized as a librarian,
0: yeah. and
1: they have primary responsibility for the instructional program. Yes. Um, that support hours... Um, then can either be a professionally qualified librarian who who are focused on the the more traditional or conventional professional librarian duties
0: yeah yeah
1: they also um um have what they call a library technician so um somebody who is responsible for yeah the um the 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 growing IT yeah component of school library work um like for example LibGuides um issues with the catalogue, uh technology in the library um all of that um and then a library assistant, mm-hmm. so somebody who is focused on yeah the more day to day operational stuff.
0: So let's so let's just get to the crux of that though that's not possible in most schools because currently we're lucky to have a person in the library working term time only so so that person working in the library is going to spend the majority of the time on the functional activities of a school library you know um so i was You know, we need to, we do obviously need to look at goals and visions to bring this um, important subject to light in a way that helps schools understand that actually the more understanding that they have of the professional role of the school librarian needs to be addressed um this isn't going to happen overnight we know um, but it really is important that we highlight these kind of numbers and something that we need to be working towards um is that just by talking like we are today or is there more to it
1: well so i mean i think it has to start it has to start by talking because i think we i think we will have scored an own goal so, if so, it would be a huge achievement if every single school had a dedicated library space and a librarian. So, so that would be a huge achievement. Yes. But I think it would be an own goal if we weren't clear that that is that is a minimum. Yes. That, that that we ought to be starting from that point.
0: But also that that the librarian is not just admin staff.
1: Exactly. So but
0: actually the librarian needs to have a qualification and somebody that actually understands the the wider role of the school librarian.
1: Yes. So so that's why um just, just to come back to the um what really struck me about the logic of the the guidelines, because remember the guidelines, when they were written, um, you know, the, the guidelines are not the final word. No. They are aspirational and inspirational and they point us in a direction. Absolutely. But um, that's based on 50 years of research into effective school libraries. Um, yeah. So the logic is you have to be clear about the mission and the purpose. Yes. So in this is who we are and what we do. In order to do that, we need to understand the legal and the financial framework.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we need to be clear what level of staffing we need. Yeah. Um, then the physical and digital resources. So, what does that what does that physical and digital collection look like? And we've been talking about ratios and. Yeah.
0: yeah absolutely. Um.
1: But then it comes to the program and activities of the library. Yeah. So all of that stuff serves the program. Yeah. All of that stuff only exists for the program. And then the program becomes really important because that is who we are and what we do.
0: And what we're able to do because of the rest
1: of it. Exactly. Yes. But the danger is that if we aren't clear, about what it is that we ought to be doing then um i think calls for increased staffing or resourcing are hollow yeah
0: because if you're just saying well we need <laughs> we need and without a purpose you know everybody could do with more staff just to of do the, to do the practical things but actually the more staff needs to be for a very specific reason
1: yes yeah and if we don't understand what that is and if we aren't so 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 that's why as i say if i go back to 2003 um that simple act of saying well actually um as we get closer to the end of school the the split between fiction and non-fiction ought to look more like this okay so that makes sense because yes you're, your you're 7 and your 8 come to the library I'm um, either once a week or every two weeks I have quite a lot of contact with them um you know the the non the the fiction collection is largely aimed at them because that is where there is input and whatever and whatever however um what am I doing with the other yeah so so that is a percentage of my time it's a percentage of my collection so what exactly is it then that I'm doing with my not my nonfiction time and yeah. collection.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so so that then that then starts to become clear in the the program because we can sum, sum that up as um, literature and reading promotion.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I include media and information literacy within inquiry um technology integration and um cpd for teachers yeah so in the very little time that i have had when i was working on my own
0: yeah
1: of course i didn't have the benefit then of the the guidelines which i only stumbled across in
0: 2019
1: absolutely um so in the limited time that i have and it's an impossible ask. <laughs> but if if I'm not trying to address these four things, then I end up largely with one, and the program becomes unbalanced. And then it makes it very difficult for me to have conversations with colleagues outside of the library about anything other than one aspect of a balanced program. Yeah. So we need to be clear that the library serves the program. What is the program? And then as difficult as it is, we need to be trying to address all four aspects of the program um, because then the last, the 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 last bit of the guidelines are um, school library evaluation and public relations. Um, so it's only because the program is resting on a solid foundation that it's able to do these things, and that is what allows me to advertise, to market, and to advocate for the program.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So, there's a massive gap. A massive gap has opened up between, I think, in some sense, where we were, even if it was just having a clearer sense of purpose. Yeah. And how we did that. A massive gap has opened up between that and where we are now, to the extent that I think even just achieving. A library in every school that is staffed is huge
0: yeah.
1: and yet i think we have to be really careful that we don't allow the conversation to remain at that level because that needs to be a crucial stepping point to um understanding why staffing levels need to be appropriate for the size of the school if we are wanting to see effective school library programs
0: absolutely absolutely it, it, it's it's such a it's such an important topic daryl <clears throat> um and i'm going to bring the conversation to a close now because i think we've covered such a lot um <clears throat> what i do think we need to highlight is is the IFLA School Library Guidelines are certainly something that anyone listening should be reading. And I will be putting the link um, in the show notes below. And and really to think about, uh, again, back to the last podcast that we did, you know, thinking about what your what your non-fiction collection looks like. and And, you know, we've highlighted that that you should be doing more with it you know have a think about what it is that you are you are going to do um to know do you know what's on your shelves do you engage with it do you find it interesting can you talk about it and i think those kind of things are the things that are going to start librarians heading themselves in the right direction do and also just one final thought there if i can it. yeah
1: um, are we as librarians and as a library profession creating the same kind of demand for non-fiction titles um, across the age range um, as we are for non uh, for fiction? Mm. Because I think, yeah. So, so, so I think that is just something to explore. Is if we were more excited, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: about non-fiction maybe there would be a greater demand um, and maybe non-fiction authors would be celebrated in the same way as... Now, I know they are different. They're two very different things. But I think if we were more excited about the non-fiction collection, um, that may stimulate um, a demand that would... Help us transform our relationship with the nonfiction collection.
0: Absolutely, and and you know that's just sort of reminded me of what you know since our last conversation. I've had a few conversations with librarians saying that there isn't the the resources and the stock there for mm-hmm. that younger age group, um, you know, sort of lower secondary. But if we made more of an effort with what we're demanding or needing then then more is likely to be written. Um, I'm I have got a podcast coming out um in the next couple of weeks which is talking about non-fiction um very specifically so hopefully you will join me with um join me listening to that one. Um, we hope you have listened um, and enjoyed what we've talked about today. Um, as always, we'd like to hear your comments on anything that we've said. Um, Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on future discussions. Thank you, as always, for listening.